I went to my physician the other day because I was experiencing some discomfort in my chest. An electrocardiogram and a stethoscope determined my heart was fine. Later, I read the this is not a bill letter that itemized what was charged to my insurance company. Have you ever looked at what's being charged? What if there was an issue? What if my insurance didn't cover the expenses? Where would that leave me? Today's guest, Dr. Nicole Rochester, is a board-certified pediatrician with over 20 years of experience caring for her patients and their families. But in 2017, Dr. Rochester, inspired by her own caregiving journey, launched Your GPS Doc LLC and has become a passionate advocate for patients and family caregivers. She is also a speaker, author, and media contributor. Most importantly, she is a loving wife and a proud mother of two daughters. Welcome, my friend, Dr. Nicole Rochester, to Hindsight, the podcast. Everything that I have done and everything that I'm currently doing in my life boils down to being a calling, a spiritual calling. For the first time in my life, I actually felt just like completely burned out. Nicole, maybe you could... Do this for other people. Like, what could you do? How can you make this journey easier for other patients and family caregivers? So in hindsight, really the thing that I would have changed was to just be a little braver. I mean, Hindsight is 2020. Hindsight is key. Hindsight is key. To learn that, you don't need no type of degree. Type of degree. Learn from the past, see what the present gonna be. Yeah. I'm a wise man, look at these blessings on me. Hindsight is 2020. Hindsight is key. Hindsight is key. To learn that, you don't need no type of degree. Type of degree. Learn from the past, see what the present gonna be. Yeah. I'm a wise man, look at these blessings yeah. on me. Yeah. The Hindsight Podcast. Hosted by Lee Jones, the one and only, my homie, bringing the past to the present and affecting the future for the better. Hey, Nicole, how you, how you been? It's been a long, long time. How you been? Yes, uh, yes, it has, Lee. I have, I have been well. I'm, I'm doing well. Looking forward to this conversation. Good. I had a really good experience in high school. I made some dumb decisions. Obviously, we talked about it a little bit before the show, like not going to English and math at the beginning. I mean, during my senior year. Um, and that caused some things to happen. Right. But ultimately, I had a, a really good high school experience. Uh, and it was mainly because the people that I hung out with, like yourself and, and Truth and, you know, all these other names were really good people. Right. And and you guys influenced me in a way um, that I didn't realize at the time. So I just want to say I appreciate that. Right. You just were good people. And you don't always get that in a high school environment. Right. Sometimes you gravitate towards wrong people or or maybe it's just not a good environment as a whole. I think our high school was a pretty good environment and the people were pretty good, at least the ones I hung out with. So thank you, first and foremost. Aw, well, thank <laughs> you. The feeling is mutual. And I definitely, as I've gotten older, I've found myself reflecting more on high school. And, you know, like you said, the things that you don't really appreciate them when you're in the moment. But, you know, right. now that we're getting a little up in age, um, and, and, you know, unfortunately we've lost some of our classmates and things yeah. like that. It really does cause you to go back and reflect. And I agree. It was a great experience and, and we had great people in our yes. class for sure. Good, good. So 
I want to start off, and there's my dog. I already told you the dog's probably going to bark through the interview, so we apologize to the audience. Um, but what, what do you like to do now for fun? You know, one of the main things I like to do for fun is to listen to music. And that can be, you know, music on the radio. That can be music on my phone. Um, but I also love live music. And, of course, with COVID, I haven't had as many opportunities to do that. But music just really has an effect on my soul, on my um, my mental state, my emotional state, my mood. And um, so that's that's probably the main thing. I also really enjoy reading. I've enjoyed reading since I was little. Um, of course, as I've gotten older and busier and have more responsibilities, I don't read as much as I used to. But um, I've been really um, spending time with like Audible and so I can kind of read on the go. And then in the last, I would say, six months or so, I've kind of gotten a little overboard with ordering physical books. Um, so I'm looking at a big pile right now in my office that I need to read. So I would say reading and listening to music. And then, of course, like everybody else, um, I have a few shows that I'll binge watch from time to time. Oh, I love watching shows. It is it is <laughs> definitely, you know, probably not good for me. But there's so many talented, you know, writers and, and actors and productions out there, you know, Hulu and Amazon with their anyway, I'm not gonna get into that. But uh, <laughs> I absolutely love to binge watch different things. Um I made a commitment to read six books um this year, uh with at least four of them being some sort of self help book. So I can definitely Ooh. align with you in in uh in those spaces. In music, you know, I don't really get to listen to it in the house um as much. Um I listen to it in the car when I'm taking the dog to the park. Um, mm -hmm. So, and and I love different types of music. So, but probably TV like that is that is the top, and it and it's a bad thing. So, <laughs> in hindsight, I need to work on that. Uh, so, tell me a little bit about uh, your journey, like since you left high school, like you know how you've gotten to to. Uh, yeah, just tell me a little bit about your journey. Okay, so. As you know, you know, I was in the science and technology magnet program in high school, and um, I really have known since I was probably eight or nine that I wanted to be a doctor, and specifically, I knew that I wanted to be a pediatrician. Um, I've always kind of been a little bit of a science and math nerd, and I was always fascinated with like medicine and the human body and used to look at this big medical encyclopedia that we had in our house when I was little. And I used to like flip through the pages and look at all the different diseases and pictures. Wow. And I also have always loved kids. I used to be a camp counselor and babysat for money and, you know, and uh, adolescence. So, um, so I always knew I wanted to be a pediatrician. So when I left high school, I went to Johns Hopkins University for uh, undergrad and got a degree in biology. And then I took a year off and worked at the National Naval Medical Center just getting my feet wet in research. And honestly, I was like burnt out. Like I, it wasn't, I, I, not to brag or anything, but I would have easily been able to get into medical school directly from college. But for the first time in my life, I actually felt just like completely burned out. And there was a lot of pressure internally about what to do next. And like the, the, the goal was to go straight from college to medical school but I just found myself just really feeling like I needed a break. So that was probably a big decision point that maybe we'll talk about later. I really struggled with it. And ultimately, I feel that I made the right decision. But I took a year off and did some research. And then um, 
went back to medical school a year later at the University of Maryland School of Medicine and uh, completed medical school and then did my pediatric residency in DC at Children's National Medical Center. And then I um, did primary care pediatrics for almost four years. And um, I would say about three years in, I started feeling like I was supposed to be somewhere else. And I was starting to get a little, just a little bored with some of the routine things that come in the door, typically in outpatient pediatrics. And I was missing the, uh, what I call excitement. Other people are like, you're crazy. But I was missing the excitement of the hospital and like not kind of knowing what your day is going to look like. I liked that type of variety. I liked doing procedures and I also really loved teaching. So ultimately I went uh, into hospital, pediatric hospital medicine and had the opportunity to train um, medical students and pediatric residents and ultimately um, was the medical director for my group. And so I was living my best life teaching (laughs) and providing care and had some administrative tasks. It was just like the perfect job. Okay. Um, but along the way, my dad got sick and my two older sisters and I had to step in rather abruptly to become his caregivers. And that was a, an experience that led to yet another decision point where ultimately I left clinical medicine in 2017 to launch my own company, Your GPS Doc. So I'll take a pause there. <laughs> I know that was an open question, right? So it's like, check, check, you answered that one, check. So you said you, at, at nine years old, you knew you wanted to be a doctor and then specifically a pediatrician. So I, I think I got that right. It was a nine? Yep. So, Eight or nine. Mm-hmm. So what sparked, what sparked that passion? Is there anything or you just saw it and you knew that was it? Or what sparked that desire, that passion? Uh, to go in that field at such a young age and then to follow through and write and, and make it happen. So, yeah, you know, that's a great question. I mean, I think I just, I didn't, I wouldn't have been able to articulate this at, at that age, but I honestly feel like it was just a calling. I mean, everything that I have done and everything that I'm currently doing in my life boils down to being a calling, a spiritual calling. And but at the time, what I would have told you is that I just I saw it as combining my interests and my talents and like where I naturally excelled. So I mentioned that, you know, I was just always good at science and I really loved science. Um, I was good at math. And even though it's not always it's not perfectly clear why you have to take so much math to go to medical school. But um, right. those two things kind of came naturally to me. And then as I started Um, reading through that medical encyclopedia, I was just fascinated with like how the human body works and um, fascinated with like diseases and the treatment of diseases. And I've just always loved, even as a kid, I loved being around kids. I loved teaching. Um, When I was in elementary school, um, often my, some of my friends would like come to me and ask me to help them with certain subjects. And I just had a way of like, making it simple. I did the same thing in college, in medical school. Like I just always, we would have these little study groups and I would just like tell jokes or make up funny stories to kind of make it easier. So I think for me, it was just combining like my love of children, my love for teaching, my love of medicine and science and just it, pediatrics just seemed like um, the right combination of those things. 
I should have taken advantage of, I don't know if it's a love of math, but you took a lot of math when we were in high school. <laughs> I'm just, I just want to put that on the record. Uh, <laughs> so, so you get to a decision point right now where uh, you and your siblings had to uh, provide uh, caregiving for your dad. And something happened, uh, I believe, during that time that kind of made you rethink your position or your career path at that point. Can you can you just explain the situation, like what happened? Yeah, so if anybody listening has ever cared for a loved one, you'll understand exactly what I'm talking about. But it is literally the most difficult thing I've ever done. And as we talked about, I've done a lot of difficult things. Um, but caring for my dad was extremely difficult, um, not because he wasn't a great guy and not because, you know, it wasn't the right thing to do and all of those things, but because of the system and being a, a healthcare provider myself, being a physician, but being a pediatrician, I hadn't realized how much I had been kind of shielded from the system because in peds, not to toot our own horns, but we literally go above and beyond to do whatever is necessary to take care of children. And and that's just kind of how it works in pediatrics, <clears throat> excuse me. But what mm -hmm. I found with my dad, not only as an adult, but a male, not only a male, but a black male and an older black male, um, there were just so many barriers to him receiving appropriate care. And um, a lot of it has nothing to do with his gender or his race, and some of it does, but ultimately the healthcare system is unnecessarily complex. And um, what I found very quickly is that my ability to advocate for my dad right. directly impacted the quality of care that he received. And so me being a quote unquote insider, I was able to answer or ask questions that the average layperson wouldn't know to ask. I was able to push back and question some of the decisions that were being made um, I was able to do research and say, you know, hey, well, what about this treatment? What about this treatment? I was able to escalate my concerns because I worked in hospitals for over 10 years. So I knew exactly what the hierarchy was and the chain of command and all those things. And, and while it was exhausting, it was effective. <clears throat> and so every time I would effectively navigate some challenge for my dad, and and do it successfully, I would think, okay, that's great for my dad, but like, what about the 45 to 50 million other people in our country who are caring for loved ones who don't have a nursing or medical background? And it would just cause me to be like really angry. And so before he even passed away, I just, I would occasionally get these little inklings like, hey, Nicole, maybe you could do this for other people. Like, what could you do? How can you make this journey easier for other patients and family caregivers. But then, you know, life was happening. And right. um, so I would kind of tuck that thought away. Um, and, and then after he passed away, like I was, I mean, it was very, I was getting these like messages that, you know, I was being called to do something else. But when you spend your entire life working towards this one career right? and, you know, and it's a lucrative career financially. And I mean, I have kids, I'm married. <clears throat> we had a child that was going to be going to college soon. So it was probably like the worst time to entertain being a business owner. I also had no entrepreneurial experience at all, no no business knowledge. Um, so it just didn't seem practical. But eventually I just couldn't ignore that calling anymore. 
So in comes your GPS dock. GPS, is that the play on navigation or is that? Yes, it is. Okay, okay. So in comes your GPS dock. You said you had no entrepreneur. Well, I don't know if you had entrepreneurial, but you had no, you hadn't done a business yet. Scaling it from helping your dad to helping those millions, potentially millions of people who need that, that advocacy it was definitely a leap. How did you come up with the idea? How did you scale it? And you don't have to go real deep because I know that's a, a really loaded or a big question. So while I was still working, you know, I was dealing with these calls to do that, to do something. And I just kept reflecting on the fact that my, I felt that my and my sister's ability to advocate for our dad ultimately got him better health care. And so initially I started thinking about, you know, what would it look like to do this for others? Um, while I was still employed due to some contractual issues, <laughs> obligations, I'll say, I, I wasn't able to kind of like start my business as a side gig, which was, was my, which was my original idea. But I knew that I could at least provide information. So I initially just started, I, I, I launched my website and I was blogging and just providing what I call like inside information about how to navigate the healthcare system. Um, so I started doing that while I was still working as a pediatrician and, and the name, I mean, I was just, you know, sitting one day and I was just thinking about like it, how difficult it is to navigate the healthcare system. I'm a doctor. I knew that I wanted to kind of let people know that, hey, this is, this is an actual physician who has some inside knowledge who can help you. So that's kind of where the Your GPS Doc came up with, you know, navigating the healthcare system. And Your was important to me, even though a lot of people mistakenly say the GPS Doc, but I wanted my clients to know, like, I'm your, I'm your navigation doctor. That's important. That's important. Um, yeah. So that's where the name came from. And in terms of scaling, I went from, you know, blogging and like I established a presence on social media. And so I would post on initially Facebook. Um, and then I started doing like a weekly Facebook live show. And then once I actually launched my official business entity, it really started with um, personal referrals. I mean, my first probably three or four, if not more clients were all people for, in my personal network or people who knew people in my personal network. And, you know, maybe somebody would be at church and a church member would talk about how they're caring for a family member and how they don't understand what's going on. Or, or maybe their spouse is in the hospital and they're concerned and they would say, oh, I know somebody who does this. Like, you mm -hmm. need to call Nicole. Right. So initially, it really just started with referrals from people in my family, you know, my friends. And then from there, as I, you know, started becoming more well known, um, then I started getting um, clients, you know, outside of my personal network, people who either saw my website or people who saw me in one of the professional health advocate directories, or maybe they heard me on a podcast and things like that. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how it all started. I don't know when you got on the news, but I've been seeing you making a lot of uh, appearances. Uh, and some, oh, some, yeah. some of the blogs, some of the news. Yeah, no, I was going to say, yeah, I did have the honor of um, appearing twice on our local ABC7 channel. Um, so that was a lot of fun. It's crazy because I was looking at it and I was like, geez, she looks exactly the same. Like, I'm... <laughs> I'm Thank thinking you. Ball, I'm ball headed now. So like people <laughs> see me, they're like, Wee, is that you? So But your face goes. looks the same. You look well, the same too. Well that's good. That's good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Um 
Yeah, so so your GPS doc. That's amazing because I've never really so I've never really experienced but I uh 100% know that it exists, right? And I get it in little pieces. You know, when you go and you're trying to tell a doctor something, maybe they're not hearing you and I'm like, but this is a thing and they're you know what I'm saying? And, mm-hmm. and I get it. In your situation with your father, like that was an extreme case, right? Mm-hmm. These people that are coming to you, they're coming to you with extreme cases. So how do you how do you approach or how do you determine if that's if their individual cases, I guess you call them, are in your wheelhouse? Or is it just mm-hmm. any medical thing because you understand the medical terminologies and the bureaucracy of it all? That is an excellent, excellent question. Yeah, I I will start by saying that I strongly believe that everyone, and I do mean everyone, needs a health advocate. Now, that may not be a professional like myself where you're paying me to provide those services. That could be your spouse. That could be your adult child. That could be your neighbor, your best friend, your boyfriend. But all of us need somebody who can serve as our eyes and ears, especially during acute situations you know, where you may be um, either too sick to effectively advocate for yourself, or you're just dealing with like a new diagnosis and your mind is not interpreting anything else. Once the doctor says, as an example, you know, I'm really sorry, but you have cancer. We're not listening anymore as, as patients. And so all of us need somebody who can at a minimum take notes, you know, maybe help ask questions on our behalf, um, help us process the information afterwards, and then in, in severe situations, literally stand up for us on our behalf when we can't do it ourselves. And ter- so I'll start with that. But in terms of like professional health advocacy services, as a physician, I do primarily provide you know medical advocacy. So helping individuals who maybe have a new diagnosis or their family member has a new diagnosis, helping them kind of plan out next steps, helping them understand what that diagnosis means, what are the treatment options, you know, who are the experts in this area, who in your geographic area, it may involve helping them understand their health insurance benefits so that they um, can choose physicians and and hospitals and things like that, that will actually be covered by their health insurance. Um, I've worked with people who needed health insurance and had no idea how to select health insurance policies. Um, sometimes during like an acute hospitalization, it'll involve being that bridge between the patient and their family and the healthcare team and making sure that they are involved in the decision-making, making sure that the communication gaps are closed. Um, my wheelhouse, like my kind of what I say, ideal client, it just because it lights my heart up is working with other family caregivers because that's who I was. And so I see myself in them and they see themselves and me. And so I, I'm able to connect on a very um, special level. Um, but, you know, there's really not a particular condition that um, I can't advocate for, because even though I'm a pediatrician by training, most of my clients are actually seniors and their caregivers. And that medical knowledge is, is helpful, but ultimately I'm not practicing medicine. So like, I don't have to understand the intricate details of the medical treatment. I just need to be able to understand kind of the big picture. And ultimately I'm helping them navigate the system and giving them information so that they can make informed decisions. 
Yeah, that's that's cool because every I don't know when it starts, probably like in a few weeks, October through November, when I have to select my uh, medical coverage plan at mm-hmm. work. It sucks because I'm like, I don't know the difference. Like, I mean, all I, I make my judgments based off of copay and catastrophic uh, cap. Mm-hmm. That's basically what I make my decision off. And there's so many other boxes there that need to be checked, right? Yeah, I may, I may be calling you soon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no problem. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be a great host if I didn't ask a hindsight question. So you made a big leap from a very lucrative a career as a pediatrician to being a business owner. Uh, so in hindsight, looking back, um, what is something that you may have done differently to better maybe prepare yourself? Uh, for the transition? I think the, the main barrier to the um, success of my business and earlier success of my business has been myself <laughs> and my own mindset. And right, right, what I right. have realized during this journey is that, I mean, I think most business owners struggle initially with mindset. But what I realized is that some of the very things that made me a great physician were actual barriers to me being a great business owner. So part of that is perfectionism. And, you know, that's important in healthcare because of course, if you make a mistake, you can really harm or worse, you know, you can kill somebody. So I understand why those, those traits were ingrained in me. um, Even before I was a doctor, honestly, if I'm being honest, like I was a perfectionist before, so maybe it's self-selection, but that, that was a huge hindrance to my ability to, do what's necessary as a business owner, which is take leaps of faith, um, try things with and put stuff out in the universe, even though you haven't like totally vetted it. Um, I got stuck in analysis paralysis. I was researching my behind off and it wasn't until my husband said gently one day, like, um, is this going to be a hobby or is this actually going to be a business? And I was like, oh yeah. Because I was just doing all this research, calling myself a business, had not taken a single dime (laughs) from anybody. And who knows how much longer that would have lasted. But I kept telling myself, like, okay, I'm going to launch when I have one more. I just need one more thing. Okay, I need to learn one more thing. I need to read one more book. I need to listen to one more podcast. So in hindsight, really the thing that I would have changed was to just be a little braver. I mean, yeah, I was brave to leave medicine and launch a business, but I could have been even braver in the way that I executed my business in those first like six months. That is an important message because I think a lot of us, when you're, you know, you're comfortable where you're at. Right. And so whenever you have to switch or transition and do a new thing, you want to, you want to be in the best position. You really want to be in a position that you are in that comfort zone. Right. But you're not Mm going to be there because you've never done it. Right. But mentally, you try to do everything you can and you get caught up in. And I trust me, I know uh, I did it for, <laughs> uh, for for my photography business where, you know, do this or let me buy this other piece of equipment or let me, you know, in, in what I've learned uh, as far as that goes is just take the camera and take pictures. Exactly. Just do it. Um, because you won't get any better training than that. And you'll learn the mistakes, right? You'll you'll figure those out and then you'll correct those, right? So so anyway, that's excellent, excellent advice. You know, take some chances, get out there. You know, don't take too big a risk, but, you know, take some chances <laughs> and see what happens because you, you're, you're more prepared than you think you are. Yep, so true. TED Talk. Let's talk a little bit about that experience. 
so I watched it. I loved it. You were talking oh, about adv- advocacy again. How did you go about getting a TED Talk, one, getting getting on the list and doing it? And two, what was your preparation uh, like, looking like uh, going into that event? Man, so I, I mentioned earlier that literally everything that I have done has been like spiritually orchestrated. So, I mean, I'm just going to have to go out and say that this was nothing but God, like everything else that I've been able to accomplish. With the TEDx talk, I definitely had that on my bucket list. Like, you know, as I was thinking about my business and how I wanted to not only help the patients and family members that are working with me directly, but I wanted to have a larger impact. And so part of that involved professional speaking and being able to give a TEDx talk. And the way that came to fruition is so crazy, but um, I'm a podcast junkie. And so I was listening to uh, and still listen to a podcast called Speaking Your Brand. A host is Carol Cox. I have to shout her out. And one day on her podcast, she had talked about how um, she wanted people to reach out to her to like if they were interested in giving a TED talk to reach out to her. And she was going to select, I guess, a handful of people to I think she was offering kind of like a, a complimentary like session, if I'm remembering correctly. So unfortunately, I didn't act right then. Like as soon as I finished the podcast, I started doing something else. And I want to say maybe a couple of days later, I went to her site and, you know, reached out, letting her know that I was interested. And she got back to me really quickly and said, oh, my gosh, Nicole, I'm really sorry. You know, we've already filled up the slots. But as part of the interest form, you had to kind of say, like, what your idea was for a TEDx talk. And so she was intrigued with what I was doing and like my journey. And so even though there weren't any slots, she said, you know what? Why don't, why don't I, I, let's do this. Like I, are you open to recording a live like coaching call where I kind of coach you through your idea for a TEDx talk and kind of help you develop it a little bit further. And this will air on the podcast. And so I was sitting here like, what? So I'm like whispering to myself, (laughs) like jumping up and down. So of course I said, yes. And so um, during this interview, I, Lee, I had a notebook out and I don't even remember how many pages of notes I took, but literally in this like 30 minute interview, she helped me to just completely flesh out some ideas that I had, like put things in the right order. And by the end of that call, I had like a solid foundation for how I would do my talk. Also during that podcast interview, she talked with me about how to go about like searching in your area to see if there were any upcoming TEDx talks. I mean, she pretty much just gave me the blueprint. And so after this time, I did not delay. As soon as I finished recording the podcast, I did what she told me to do and like went to the TEDx website and saw that there was an upcoming TEDx talk in, in my area, about 45 minutes, maybe almost an hour away here in Maryland that was scheduled maybe like six or seven months out. So I reached out to the organizer and guess what? She said, you know what? We literally just closed applications like two days ago, but very similar to Carol in this process of reaching out. I shared with her my story and she said, but your story is so intriguing. Let me reach out to the organizers and see if they're willing to to bring on one more person. And and the rest is history. Like she talked to her co-organizers and they agreed that, you know, they thought my story was worth telling. 
it, it, it so, is worth telling. <laughs> well, thank you. And so Absolutely. that's how I ended up on a TEDx stage in March of 2019. How'd you feel when you when you got off the stage? How'd you feel going on the stage? Oh my gosh, I was so nervous. Yeah. I was so if, if you really look like you can tell, you can probably hear it in my voice. My mouth was all dry. Oh, I can see a little I bit. Was, but yeah, you was, kill, was you was super, killing it though. <laughs> thank you. I I was really nervous, but I knew that, you know, I felt strongly that my message would resonate because, you know, they say either you are a caregiver, you were a caregiver, or you will be right. a caregiver. And I just, I really was, I just tried to focus on the message and like, who can I help by sharing my story and ultimately issuing this challenge to healthcare providers to connect with your patients and the family members in front of you. And, you know, don't be a robot. Like at the end of the day, this benefits doctors and nurses, this benefits patients and family members. So, um, so yeah, so I, it was, it was an incredible honor. I think I may have another TEDx talk in me. So hopefully in the next couple of years, I'll have that opportunity again. But yeah, it was, it was a privilege. You definitely got a fan. I'll be watching. So, you know, Thank let us, you. let us know. And, and maybe we'll be in an area somewhere to, to be in the audience. That would be amazing. Ooh, that would be awesome. What are you doing now? You you had some good news and mm-hmm. I'm going to let you toot your horn. Uh, what, what, what is exciting is going on in your space right now or in the near future? Yeah. So right now, what, what has happened in the last couple of years um, is that I have um, pivoted into more consulting and um, speaking and, and really doing a lot of work around um, health inequities and structural racism in medicine and bias in medicine and how that impacts the disparate care that we see in marginalized communities. And so I've had the pleasure of being able to work with several healthcare organizations, providing um, health equity consulting services and working on some innovative programs here in Maryland, one of which is a maternal health equity project um, that aims to decrease the disparities and improve outcomes um, for black women and really for all women who are pregnant and giving birth in, um, in our state of Maryland. And um, most recently, I am so honored to be a semifinalist in the Black Ambition Program. So this is um, a program for entrepreneurs and startups. Uh, it's, a, it's a foundation by the R&B artist and producer Pharrell Williams. And I was among thousands of applicants and there's 249 of us that made it to the semifinals. So um, as a result of that, I get access to amazing mentors and live coaching and um, other services, technology services that will help me grow and scale my company. And then, you know, there's a phase two. Now we're completing the application for the okay. next phase and prayerfully I will make it to the next round of semifinalists. Good. I'll definitely be praying for you in your Thank in your you. in your business, right? Because like I said, just story, I don't know how prevalent or how, you know, if it's if it I've never seen it before, right, what you're doing. And I know someone's doing it because they're, you know, they're close, but I've never really seen it before. Right. And that's what makes it so 
feel it. And then you talk about it as well. So you're getting it out into the universe and you're letting people be aware of it. Because right now, especially now, good Lord, uh, medical mm-hmm. medical care is, is you, you press the wrong button and you have an astronomical expense, right? So all these decisions that you make in that space are critical. And having an advocate prior to making those decisions, going through certain situations, and and just walking, you know, walking us, you know, through that is is very important and a very honorable, I believe, uh, professional job choice. Um, so one, thank you. Two, much, much, much success because it is needed, and hopefully, you can scale your business clear across the country. Uh, is it clear across the country? So because that's a great question. So I do want to say that there are other people doing this. That's one of the things I learned when I was like brainstorming. I thought I was coming up with this great idea. And I was like, oh, this is a whole profession. Like there are, there's a profession called health advocacy. Um, And then to answer your second question, um, because most of what I do as a health advocate can be done virtually, and I was doing it virtually even before COVID, I actually don't have geographical limitations. So I have worked with many clients in other parts of the country. Um, Some of the services that health advocates provide, they really are best done locally um, but many of the services can be done you know we i conduct business on zoom i attend yeah. family meetings on facetime so a lot of it can be done outside of where you're physically located okay i asked you a bunch of questions there were open-ended questions so i apologize <laughs> on that one thank you for filling in all the blanks right now is there is there something that i didn't ask you that you'd like to tell my audience or tell you tell our audience no, th- this has been great. I appreciate the interview. I think your questions were awesome. The only thing I will leave your audience with, you know, I always like to leave a few nuggets along the way because I know that not everybody is going to ever work with a professional health advocate. So maybe if I could share my GPS system with your audience for how they could advocate for themselves and their family member. Absolutely. Okay, awesome. So um, the G stands for gather information. And the main way you do that is asking questions. So if you think back to when you were two or three or four, for those of you who have kids or grandkids, we know that kids ask a lot of questions. And while it can be annoying sometimes for us adults, that is the way that they learn. And and so we need to like tap into that part of our ourselves. And asking questions is one of the most important things that you can do as a patient or a family caregiver or a support person in medical settings. Um, Don't assume that you're getting all the information. There are time limitations. There are biases. People may look at you and assume that you don't want a certain thing or you can't afford a certain thing. So as much as you can, you want to just ask questions about your your diagnosis, about the treatments that they're proposing. Um, Always do that. Ask if there are alternatives. Ask about side effects, all the things so that you can really have the information that you need to make a decision. And it also is a signal to the medical team that you are invested in your care. The P stands for position yourself as an expert. So as you're asking these questions, you know, out, outside of the doctor visits and the hospital um, stage, you need to do research. And I'm not a huge fan of Dr. Google, but there is good information on the internet Um, You can do that. You can also ask your doctor for brochures or pamphlets or reputable websites so that you can do your own um, information gathering. And then with that, you're able to position yourself 
as the expert. So despite the fact that I went to medical school and I did a residency and I have 20 plus years of experience, I'm not the expert for my patient's body. Like you're the only one that knows what's going on with your body. As a family member, you know best whether or not your loved one is behaving normally or not. And so we have to position ourselves as experts in medical settings um, and making sure that we are correcting misinformation and making sure that we are um, you know, giving them the information that they need with, with some authority, being respectful, but with authority. And then the S is to speak up. So many of us have been in situations, even if you're not in medicine, where there, you had a gut feeling that something was wrong um, maybe the medication didn't look right or something the doctor was saying didn't sound right, but you second guessed yourself because you said, this person has all these you know, years of training, knowledge, expertise, I'm just a blank. Don't ever do that. If you are thinking that something's wrong, you're probably right. And so speaking up on your behalf and speaking up on behalf of your loved ones is the one of the best ways that you can get better medical care. So thanks for allowing me to share that. That's amazing. That's empowerment. That is a strategy. I like it. All of those rolled into <laughs> one. That is, you know, because I, I sit and I'm, and I'm looking back. Hell, at my last, my last visit, which was a couple weeks ago, because I had like a pain in my chest. But it, I mean, it feel, I don't know. I'm not going to ask for a diagnosis, but I went there and, <laughs> and the guy was just like not hearing me. You know, I'm like, dude, mm-hmm. it's something like it's persistent for a few months now, right? Um, so anyway, I convinced them to, you know, do x-rays and, uh, do a str- stress, one of those stress test things. You get mm-hmm. on the uh, treadmill and, you know, things are, are coming back, you know, fine, but it's still something there, right? So yes, I have to advocate, like it is something that is not right. So, um, so I appreciate that because a lot of times, you know, a doctor says, well, no, everything comes up clear and you're just like, oh, thank goodness. Right. Yeah. And you just take it at that. And then you can find out later on, maybe it wasn't that. Right. So I don't want to, I don't want to be in that position, you know, so, and that's me personally. I'm sure there's a lot of people in the same situation, you know, with different. Oh yeah. Right. So I definitely appreciate the GPS method. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Dr. Nicole Rochester. It has been a pleasure. It has been fun catching back up with you for a little bit. Um, this is an interview, so if I reach out to you, I know you're busy, uh, but take some moment out for an old, old, old friend. <laughs> right. Oh, absolutely. No, it's yeah, been my I pleasure. Know I know you will. <laughs> Thank you, Lee. Thank you so much for having right. me on the podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Take care, okay? Hindsight is twenty twenty. Hindsight is key. Hindsight is key. To learn that, you don't need no type of degree. Type of degree. Learn from the past, see what the present gonna be. Yeah. I'm a wise man, look at these blessings on me. Hindsight is twenty twenty. Hindsight is key. Hindsight is key. To learn that, you don't need no type of degree. Type of degree. Learn from the past, see what the present gonna be. Yeah. I'm a wise man, look at these blessings on me.